This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Sam. My name is Ricardo. And this is the outer limit frequency. as no surprise but Sam and I started the Art Limit Frequency first and foremost because we are music fans and we've made nearly 160 episodes of this thing because we continue to be music fans and that's because being a fan of music is easy most of the time anyway because there are very few sensations more deflating than when a new side project solo album or supergroup fails to live up to the potential that they had on paper History is filled with examples of when a new venture fails to launch and generally makes a bit of a mess of things. So tonight's episode is a tribute of sorts to those side projects, those solo records and those supergroups that underperformed. Here's to the underachievers, I guess. With just the idea of Super Heavy, you'd initially think that they could be a group that would stick around for years. The supergroup team-up of Mick Jagger, A.R. Rahman, Dave Stewart, Joss Stone and Damian Marley has a huge amount of star power and musical talent behind it, and admittedly their sole self-titled album actually did fairly well. The issue is that it was only one album and really had no staying power. I mean, who actively remembers this group? I feel like at least a part of the problem is that they're all lead songwriters, which led to a lack of cohesion. Great concept, actually a decent album, but nowhere near as good as it should have been. This is Super Heavy with I Can't Take It No More.
Damon Albarn is the man behind at least two extremely popular and influential bands, Blur and Gorillaz. But I found it odd how his latest solo album in 2021 came and went with very little fanfare as did his solo debut, Everyday Robots, in 2014, come to think of it. I guess this is what happens when your name is synonymous with these huge creative ventures. Often your own personal output under your own name is undervalued as a result. Elban's solo albums tend to be a lot more gentle and introspective than the big guitars or big beats of his two major outlets, which might explain why their impact tends to be a lot more subdued. But that's hardly Elban's fault, it's the people that are wrong on this one, damn it. That aforementioned new album was inspired by the naturescapes of his adopted homeland of Iceland, which is something I can't see coming from Gorillaz or Blur, so fair play to him. From the exquisitely titled, The Nearer the Mountain, More Pure the Stream Flows, this is Damon Elban with Royal Morning Blue.
unlike Super Heavy, the team-up of Michael Anthony, Chad Smith, Joe Satriani, and Sammy Hagar makes a lot of sense. These four guys were almost definitely giving off the same sort of vibe, and are all pretty great in their own right. But for some reason, the collective side project, or supergroup, known as Chickenfoot, was well, pretty bad from the start. Even the name. Sure, they had a few decent songs, but man, what a waste. This should have been a huge deal, especially for fans of the bands these guys had come from. Like I said, there were some good songs there, and the first one I heard, Sexy Little Thing, actually gave me hope.
When the supergroup Giraffe Tongue Orchestra was first announced, it seemed like a surefire winner. The band combined members of Dillinger Escape Plan, Jane's Addiction, Mastodon, Mars Volta, and Allison Chains. I mean, how could it fail? By being very, very boring and forgettable, that's how. I remember going to listen to their debut and to date only album, Broken Lines, when it came out in 2016. What I don't remember is a single piece of music from it, not even the designated single, Crucifixion. That's really not a good impression to leave, which is to say, none at all. Going back to it, I found a few beige hard rock cliches jangling around and little else. Hey, I'm sure everyone had a lot of fun jamming together, but it left me ambivalent and deeply unsatisfied. This is Giraffe Tongue Orchestra with Everyone Gets Everything They Really Want, which, based on what I've had to say about this album, sounds more like a threat than a promise.
Incubus are a great band. Yeah, it took me a while to warm up to them because of their overplayed radio singles, but once I gave them more of a chance, there's a lot to love. And they did do well commercially, so it's a little strange that their vocalist Brandon Boyd has otherwise not done all that well. His two side projects, first of all his solo album, The Wild Trapeze, and then his more recent, still kind of solo work, under the name Sons of the Sea, which has him teaming up with producer Brendan O'Brien, have been forgettable. I mean, I kind of remember The Wild Trapeze coming out and hearing it going, wow, this is really good, expecting it to do quite well. It just didn't. And I guess this may have been blamed on it all being Brandon rather than having the rest of Incubus to help with the songwriting, but Brandon O'Brien is another songwriter for Incubus and Sons of the Sea has been more forgettable. None of this is bad music, just it's also not Incubus. From the Wild Trapeze, this is The Wild Trapeze.
hummingbird up in an April sky observed and said of him he's becoming one. Yeah, he's coming home. In the mid-90s, very few acts in the world were hotter than Fuji's. The groundbreaking hip-hop outfit released The Score in 1996, which went on to become one of the top-selling American albums of all time. And it was becoming clear that Lauryn Hill was primed to be the group's breakout star. The miseducation of Lauryn Hill, her solo debut, dropped in 98 to massive commercial and critical success. But hang on a minute. If that's the case, then why am I bringing it up now, on this episode, with this subject of all things? Because here we are, some 24 years later, and she still hasn't released a second album. Admittedly, there have been some significant interruptions to her career, including stints in jail for tax evasion, but you can't tell me that another album isn't exactly what the world wanted from her. Instead, the breakout spot of Fuji's passed on to Wycliffe Jean, and I'm not going to hate on Wycliffe Jean, but he wasn't my first pick from the group. By the early 2000s, Lauren Hill had become the poster child for unrealised potential. But look on the bright side, at age 46 she still has plenty of time to correct that, and I would personally love it. This is Lauren Hill with To Zion. One day, I'm gonna understand.
In 2001, Blink-182 were a pretty huge deal. However, they were also on the verge of breaking up due to infighting between Mark Hoppus and Tom DeLonge. So DeLonge went and formed his first side project, Boxcar Racer, and he took Travis Barker with him. Honestly, I really liked Boxcar Racer at the time. It was Blink, just more grown up, more serious. And given the age I was at the time, I thought that listening to more serious meant it was more mature and better. Now I see for what it was, a spite project. Tom DeLong did this to make Mark Hoppus concerned that there would be a Blink-182 without him. Wow, the tables certainly turned later on, didn't they? While this may have kind of worked in that it led to the self-titled Blink-182 and its more mature direction, it never helped fix the tensions between the two, and Tom would end up being the one to be on the out years later. None of this should detract, however, from the fact that this is a pretty cool side project and a pretty good album that doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. This is Cat Like Thief, featuring Jordan Pundick from Newfound Glory and Tim Armstrong from Rancid.
2011 had its fair share of massive failures, but few were as prominent or as public as those perpetrated by Lou Reed and Metallica. They had teamed up to release the ever-contentious Lulu record, which ended up being significantly weaker than the sum of its parts. One of the only upsides of this collaboration was that Metallica were huge Lou Reed fanboys, so even if the end result wasn't all that fun to listen to, we can at least be comforted in the knowledge that at least the creators were fulfilling some kind of creative fantasy and having a good time with it. Not us, the listeners, though. Lulu was overlong, undercooked, incurably aimless, and will stand as one of the worst albums in the history of both parties. Just imagine if this project had dropped in the mid to late 80s when everybody was firing on all cylinders. Instead, we got the damp squib that was Lulu. Better luck in the next lifetime, guys. This is Iced Honey. One, two, three. I'm always 
this way, not by choice. Just this way, I can't put my honey pot in a jar, or a heart, or a fist of a some young boy. If you can't put a butterfly in a jar, no wonder, no need to wonder where you are. It might seem like hell, the river sticks to your affection. Never sticks, no matter what you say, no matter what you do. A butterfly heart flies right past you. There's nothing to say, nothing to do. Tears, the ice will melt for you. Tears, the ice will melt for you. have mentioned before not being a big fan of the electronic music duo The Knife, simply because I'm not a fan of electronic music. However, I have to admit that they have some pretty decent songwriting skills under all that. Their song Heartbeats, which was stripped back and covered by Jose Gonzalez, is proof of this, as is the side project of one of the members, Karen Dreyer, known as Fever Ray. While some of Fever Ray is just more of the knife but darker, they have their moments of musical brilliance. If you've ever seen the show Vikings, you've heard Fever Ray, as they provide the song for the opening credits, If I Had a Heart. But this is pretty much the end of anything they've done of note, because everything else has been much more overlooked, and hell, I only know about them because of Vikings. While neither The Knife or Fever Ray are exactly household names, The Knife are considered one of the greats in the home country of Sweden, whereas Fever Ray are just kind of there. This is Keep the Streets Empty for Me.
What is it about the Black Keys that puts such severe blinders on people? We've discussed before on the show how their awesome hip-hop side project Black Rock was criminally underrated, but that's not the only case where this has happened. In 2015, singer, guitarist and principal songwriter Dan Auerbach formed a new band, The Arcs, which also apparently flew completely under the radar. The Arcs had a sound which was significantly more expansive than the Black Keys ever were, even in their Danger Mouse era of expansion and experimentation, and they released a very fine, fuzzy, psychedelic rock album called Yours Dreamily. I'd even go as far as to rank it above the Black Keys' last couple of records. But you never actually hear anybody rapping the arcs, despite being founded by, you know, one half of the most successful rock band of the modern era. The tunnel vision is real. But this is the arcs with Put a Flower in Your Pocket. Where you gonna go? Put a flower 
So I mentioned when talking about Super Heavy that the collective talent led to it maybe being a bit too much. A clash of styles. Then when it comes to Chickenfoot, despite the band members working fairly well together, they maybe weren't the best songwriters. That all makes sense for why both of these groups didn't do too well. It's a little different with The Damned Things, because the supergroup consisting of Scott Ian from Anthrax, Dan Adriano from Alkaline Trio, Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die, and Andy Hurley and Joe Troman from Fallout Boy is honestly pretty great. The main bands of all of these guys are wildly different from each other, yet they've come together and made something that isn't really like any of them. The Damned Things stands apart as their own pretty great band, so I do not understand why they aren't more well known. With two great albums so far, let's just hope for a third. And I guess seeing as Every Time I Die is just split up, maybe this will be more of a focus for Keith Buckley. Too soon? This is Invincible. Cut me up, I'm on display like a broken mirror, you can't look away.
Thank you once again for tuning into the Outer Limit Frequency as we look at some of the great underperformers in history. But not us, and definitely not you. We perform great. And since that is the case, you'll be happy to know that we have plenty more episodes available. Just look us up on Spotify, you're guaranteed to find something you like. Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.